We're back. We're back. It's a distraction. I'm Drew. That's Roth. How are you doing, Roth? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I got. I have a story to tell you. Would you like to hear a story, Roth? Sure. Before we get started, this isn't another medical horror no, no, story, No, 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 right? no, no. Okay, no. good. No, no, no. I didn't shit my pants or anything like that. All Terrific. Well, I just wanted to save it for the back half of the podcast. We've been opening with those a lot. No, 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 no. I, I, I don't have COVID or any of that stuff. Anyway. Super. Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, my daughter uh, has her boyfriend over, and and we're I'm talking with the boyfriend, and we're having like a mildly serious talk, like mild. It's nothing like nothing earth shattering, but at the end of the discussion, I uh, and I do this on instinct. I don't even know why I do it. I hold out my fist and I say respect, and he nice. gives me a Hell fist yeah. bump. And I had to think that that was that had to have been the most <laughs> painful moment of his year. That I that I had that I did that I again I don't know why I did that I can't even imagine how old I look because I'm 47 but I think I definitely put on 20 years the instant I held that fist out he's got to learn sometime man did you I'm glad that it, you could have been much worse you could have been like Irie to him I'm glad that you just gave him the the <laughs> basic the the very basic fist bump that's good. so I assumed that you talked to him about like football. But this was sort of one of those things where you're like, you know, growing up, becoming a man. No, easy. it was like it was like a like a curfew thing. I, it's oh, right. absolutely not worth getting into. I do talk to him about football sometimes, and he likes John Boys, and yeah. which I think is I think is very nice because it's like like I don't like I don't really consume a lot of John Boys content, but it's like thank God that the boyfriend likes John Boys and not like fucking big cat or some shit right like i was gonna say like basically i mean it's not just that john boyce is good he is actively good it is also that everybody else that he could conceivably be consuming is much worse yeah yeah he'd be <laughs> so, like man i'm team ramaswamy and i'd be like oh that's mm. big but now with john boy at least you know you can talk to the kid about dave steeb if you have to <laughs> our guest it's our own ray ratto ray Ray's joining us after Super Duper Mega Ultra Wildcard Weekends. We're going to talk about some football, Ray. How you doing? Ray, are you ready for some football? To uh, steal the line from Joe Buck, I am near death ready. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so I am so tired of that promo and really all the others. Yeah, I feel like I've I've gotten really familiar with the whole suite of ads in a way that I don't remember in previous years. I want the uh, the lady from the Carnival Cruise ads. I would love to have her on the pod. I'd love to just talk things over about how that trip was for her. Every every other ad is uh is hurting my soul at this point already. Well, and there are so few of them. You just see them all. That's way what more. it is, basically. Yeah, there really are like the the wear out rate. We in the ad industry, we would call it wear out. Like you would run an ad. X number of times, but then something called wear out would set in where it stops being effective because consumers have seen it 5 million times. AT&T apparently did not get that message because I have seen AT&T lady berate the fucking stewardess 9,000 times. So the end we're like, I'm on the airline side, like overcharge yeah, a, the <laughs> fuck out of her for some rare misstep from Lily there. She's yeah. usually, she's been so great. She's America's sweetheart, but I don't like watching her get spicy with uh, service employees. In fairness though, first of all, she's from Uzbekistan. Yeah. And secondly, it's not her fault that they play the ad 26 times an hour. Right. Right. Well, also she gets paid. I, she, I mean, I think she makes fucking bank. Just like, yeah. like Verizon guy, like can you hear me now guy, like that motherfucker made like millions of dollars and then Sprint was like, you know what? Let's let's steal you and and we're, we'll say that we have, 
We have the anonymous glasses actor now working for us. How about that, Verizon? Take that. <laughs> I like that uh, there's a good, I think it was Katie Weaver wrote a story about the woman that plays Flo in uh, the, whatever, those nationwide, I don't remember. It's not important who it is, but yes, progressive, there you go. And she gets paid like a mid-rotation Major League Baseball starting pitcher. Yeah. Like, just great work if you can get it. It's just, the unfortunate part is that it seems like that's like what she's got to do. She still does like improv stuff in Los Angeles, but she was like a groundlings person or something. I, it's a quote in the story from Kristen Wiig. I think it was Kristen Wiig being like, she's the funniest person I've ever worked with. But now her whole thing is that she has to like wear that wig and act really excited about insuring your boat. I think yeah. I would still trade that for like a vacation house, but it is kind of a drag. Yeah. And now she's like even a bit actor in those because they brought on these other squirrely people. Yeah, there. they're trying to grow the cinematic universe. I don't well, think also, that's Also, like she's not the best like progressive spokesman anymore. Like the Dr. Rick ads are so much better. So it's like... Yeah, that's. I'm glad that we can talk about this. This is definitely better than any. I mean, listeners might be wondering why we're talking about brands. Uh, they would not be wondering if they watched the football games played over the weekend. This is it. We're talking they, about Keegan Michael Key's wordless part in the Lily ad because that is definitely better than all but one game played last weekend. Uh, Ray, we did. We just finished a wild card weekend in which the only only one game was decided by sing, a single digit margin, and in fact, um, in two of the past four years. The average uh, margin of victory in wildcard weekend since they expanded it has been over 17 points. Is this all just dumb luck, Ray, or has the expanded playoffs actually hurt the quality of the games? I don't think it's the expanded playoffs as much as it is the realization that this is now, football is now a game played by good defensive teams rather than good offensive ones. Mm -hmm. Defensive coordinators have made all the adjustments you need to make. And now there's about three quarterbacks that you really genuinely have to fear in all situations. <laughs> right. Who are the great teams? Baltimore and probably San Francisco. And both of them are one ACL away from being Philadelphia. So it's, you know, it, it really is for my, to my way of thinking, this is the defensive coordinator's revenge for, you know, those three or four years when Patrick Mahomes was the most important human being on the planet. Now he's just one of a bunch. And more people, I think, now are more are excited about C.J. Stroud than Mahomes. Yep, they should you be know. because he fucking rocks. Yeah, I he's pretty cool, man. That guy. I hadn't really watched him until last weekend, and he was fucking hooping. Like, yeah, I was, it was they, so as, cool. As with a bunch of these games, that he made a bunch of really cool-looking throws to extremely open guys. Jordan Love did a lot of that as well. But, yeah, man, he really looks fantastic. I would have thought, if I had had to guess at what NFL organizations would never turn their shit around, I would have had the Texans pretty high up there. Yeah. Like I they've mean, just, just a year ago, they were fucked. They were yeah. like, they had blown through David Cully and Lovey Smith. They had had David Mills is, and his, like his elongated neck as their starting quarterback. Mm. They did. They had, they couldn't protect the quarterback. They couldn't really do anything right. They had fucking Jack Easterby like throwing holy water you know, in the center of the locker room, hoping that yeah. worked. <laughs> yeah. None of it worked. And then they they get a good coach in D'Amico Ryans. They get an absolute stallion of a quarterback. And hey, presto, they're like, not only are they good, but they are like, I'm actively like enjoying that the Houston Texans exist for like the first time <laughs> ever. 
I was going to say, as long as they've existed, I, that's never been the case. There was a period of time where I was like, well, you got to tip your cap to Matt Schaub. This, they're actually good. They're cool. <laughs> like, there's you don't have to fake it. Well, like, the other thing is that, like, you know, they the, the other time that they were really relevant was when, was pre-allegations to Sean Watson, right? He was fun to watch, good player. And everyone's like, oh, well, he's, he speaks so well and doing all that bullshit. But his coach was Bill O'Brien Ray. So it was like... <laughs> Real yeah. sweet and sour, right there. Yep. Just not, not, not an optimal situation for the, for a young quarterback. One of the most underrated things about today's NFL is that an owner who finds a coach who allows the owner to just sit in the suite ten times a year and look angelic is incredibly important. Like it happened in San Francisco with Kyle Shanahan because up until. Up until his hiring, Jed York was public enemy number one. They were flying planes yeah. over the stadium, demanding that he be, you know, rounded up, thrown into the woods, and then used for hunter hunters. <laughs> and then he hires Shanahan. He gets away from football entirely. And now all he is is a fan with a good seat. And that, I think ultimately that's what most owners want. And the ones who want to be seen, like Jerry Jones, are the ones who always fail because they're always the ones thinking. If yeah. you could take owner and just make him not think about the product and just wait for the money to roll in, those are the best. Those are the best organizations. I, I think we should talk about Jerry now that you brought him up. I think it's a perfect time to bring up Jerry and the Cowboys and Dak and the currently still employed by the Cowboys, Mike yeah. McCarthy. But Lord knows that might <laughs> this could change. be that classic. Recording on Tuesday, releasing on Thursday lag. This would be one of the all-time layups for that. Roth, did you watch that game? And Yes. How did you react watching the Cowboys play that horribly, particularly at the beginning of that game? Like, I was watching Dak Prescott, and it looked like Dak, it looked like Dak was blindfolded the way he was throwing the ball. Yeah, it's a real difference between, I mean, it helped, like I said, like Jordan Love, this was the real failure in that game to me was that the Cowboys defense did not look prepared in the least. No. And so it was giving up. It, Prescott was throwing a lot. I mean, they were down from the start of the game and from the first drive. And it seemed like he was hanging on by his fingernails not to be throwing a pick basically every other pass. That like even the ones that were completed were like not fully in rhythm they're behind guys they're into traffic it was bizarre because i had this is a I'll, I'll do this as quickly as i can my fantasy football team was really good this year until they weren't and they were floated in large part by the dolphins defense dak prescott and aj brown and all oh, of that <laughs> bottom fell out of all of that at exactly the same time wow. but in this case which it's good you know i had a nice record uh no one cares who wins the money at the end of the year, but the Dak looked great all year to me. Like he looked like the version of Dak Prescott that I sort of had always figured like somebody could see there. I never was a hundred percent sold. I thought that the Cowboys would not be good. I did think they would win that game. Cause I didn't think the Packers were a hundred percent there yet. Like I figured that the, the time had expired on the Eagles and the dolphins, like that they just, everybody was ready to go home there. I was shocked at how bad every aspect of the Cowboys game was. I'm not ordinarily 
one who's like impulsively talking about firing a coaching staff. Like I can see why Sirianni's on the hot seat. I don't know how you could keep Mike McCarthy after that game. Like it just does not seem like the team was ready to play and to get your asses beat like that at home by a team that maybe isn't even all that good is like if the, if that's not a fireable offense, then no such thing exists. They hadn't lost at home all year, all yeah. season, Ray. So I, I, I want to ask you, because they did, you, after every game like this, they do a great, you know, sort of roundup outside the stadium where they ask fans like, hey, how you feeling after that loss? And all the Cowboys fans reacted, you know, the way you expect Cowboys fans to react, like, like, oh, get rid of McCarthy, which will probably happen, and get rid of Dak. Like, they hate, it's like, we just had Romo, he was a choker, now Dak's a choker too. Uh, do you, is there any salvaging Dak Prescott, Ray? Um. Yeah, and here's the reason. There aren't a lot of good quarterbacks in the National Football League, and most of them are, like I said, an ACL away from being useless. So unless you can replace him, you should hold on to him. And I feel the same way about uh, Tunga Bailoa. There is not an easy path to getting a quarterback as good as them because we get the notion that somehow Oh, yeah, there are C.J. Strouds on every street corner. And there aren't. Yeah. What, three of those? And everybody else is, you know, subject to, you know, this injury or that wide receiver pouting or the left tackle getting hurt. And all of a sudden, now it's a super highway to to where the quarterback is standing. So I think my feeling is you salvage him by getting a better offensive line. And the other thing, and I think this is maybe the most important. Dude, there were three all pros on that line I know. this year. But, Ray. but they were the getting three, run through all game too. I mean, it was like, yeah. it's weird. I know By the a names. shit defense. That was yeah. what I didn't understand. It feels like, Ray, is it a matter of coaching? Like, let's say, because we, um, when we recorded the podcast last week, it was it was before the Patriots and Bill Belichick parted ways. I mean, it's nice saying Bob Kraft fired his ass. But you bring Belichick into that, uh, onto that team, or onto onto Philadelphia because that's a possibility too. Does that make a difference with Dak? I don't think it's coaching. I think there is a culture in Dallas that well predates Mike McCarthy, and it's been going on for more than two decades. They are hideous front runners when things are going good they can win 38 14 with the best of them but if they have to struggle early it's almost like there's a thing that just permeates in the locker room no matter who's in it just oh we're gonna have to work at this today and i don't know if i feel like it i mean because that's what that game felt like to me that's one of those things. I think you're I think you're right on. I'm always resistant to that because I'm like, yeah, they all try hard. They're all professionals. And yet like they checked out of that game. Like early checked out of it. Yeah. Like this is it feels like the exception that proves the rule to me. I just feel like that's it. I actually don't agree. And I think it's because I'm I'm pretty in contrast with the Eagles loss in Tampa uh where the Eagles looked like the Eagles looked like they all knew that they weren't going to be there next year. Like, like Nick Sirianni, like, you know, who looks like every Eagles fan in history, 
Like he was spending all, like when they started 10 to one, like he's strutting around, he's making all of his like guy faces and all this shit. And he looked fucking hollow from the very beginning of that game. Like that, that team looked checked out to me. The Cowboys looked like, looked like they just like, they had never played together before. Like they really wanted to make things work, but like, but like Dak and CD lamb are suddenly not on the same page, even though, like CD had to like fucking eighteen hundred yards this season. Like it didn't make any. It didn't look to me like they were unmotivated. They just looked utterly fucking clueless, and that's where I just sort of note the difference. But that's why I don't think it was about motivation with the Cowboys. I think it was once they were suddenly behind, then they went, "Oh my god, we're going to get boat raced." <laughs> I think we. I think you're right about Philadelphia. I think they came into the game hoping that it would be over. At the national anthem, they hated <laughs> each other. They hated the coaches. The coaches hated them, and Jeff Lurie hated all of them. But they knew that going in. Doesn't I mean, Lurie they, look like the most unpleasant-looking man every time they cut to him in the booth? Right, like he looks so like he just looks so dour. He's like, mm. he looks like Lauren Michaels after he smells a fart. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, he's a guy who a year ago. Had a team in the Super Bowl. He wants to, you know, he wants to be in a parade. You know, that's what he thinks now is his due. So if it looks like things are going crummy, then yeah, he's got that sort of Hello Kitty face going on. (laughs) (laughs) But there are a bunch of owners like that. I mean, if, if I was an owner in the National Football League, I would never sit where anybody could see me. Yeah. There's no, you can't win. It's just a bad proposition. It was the one right move that Dan Snyder made, where he was like, please don't show me on camera, like whenever there's a the commander's game. And they didn't, because he's an owner. He can do petty shit like that. But I would totally, if I was an owner, I would also be like, dude, don't don't film me. Because I'm, first of all, I'm going to be like wearing a jersey and looking like a complete asshole <laughs> and acting like an asshole the entire game. Like, I wouldn't want any of that. And then, you know, because also Owner like Vikings spotted eating two hot dogs at same time again. Well, because, you know, yeah, like, you don't want that headline. You know, Jerry loves like when they win, like they love showing him in the he loves be showing the booth, like pumping his fist and yeah. slapping like Chris Christie on an, on his ass cheek and all his yeah. shit. And then and then they show him hugging during, Leonard Leo, who's yeah. somehow there. Yeah, then not they, great. They, they show him getting absolutely fucking rinsed by the Packers and he like. He sort of does like the mild fist bang on the table, like not the full like Logan Roy kind, but just like darn it. Like, yeah, <laughs> I was sort of hoping he would do more like boss hoggy stuff. Like suddenly he's got like a hat that he can throw on the ground. He was just kind of hitting a, a very gentle consarnet by he's, Jerry Stanley. He's too fucking old. He's a fucking million years old. He's completely out of it. He can't do anything. Whereas like Laurie looks like actively engaged and angry all the time. And then they and then they cut to Howie Roseman during that game, packing up his like little attache dop kit. <laughs> ready, that was great. That was such a because it, scene it, the it had the image of a doctor leaving an unsuccessful house call. <laughs> <laughs> like it was just not not an inspiring visual for a team. That wasn't even halftime yet. No, um, yeah, Jerry looks like Vito Corleone, which is I've done all my dirty work. Now I can just sort of look like the placid old man while yep. I'm plotting to kill everybody. And Lurie looks like Sonny. You know, he wants to be the guy who shoots people. Yep. He right. wants to walk downstairs and he wants to fire everything he sees. 
relatable. You may well have done that by the time this this yeah. podcast is done recording. I'm really interested in finding out what happened with the Eagles because, like, even though as McQuaid ably documented all year, like they went ten and one without ever really looking great. The bottom falling out of them to the extent that it did, it's the same personnel. It wasn't the sort of – I mean, they didn't have A.J. Brown yesterday. I don't think that would have made a difference. It wasn't like they lost that many critical guys. They just started to suck six weeks ago and never stopped. Yeah, yeah. Sirianni, that's where I would say Sirianni is culpable. Right. Is if you are really a good coach, and it's hard to be a good coach in that league because there are a bunch of guys who are actually not bad – and I include McCarthy in that as much as it is, it's fun to say, oh, look at that fat old Irishman. He probably drinks between plays. Yeah, yeah, it is He still fun. won 63% of his games for a long time. And, you know, there are more coaches who had good quarterbacks and screwed them up than had good quarterbacks and did well with them. But Sirianni, all of a sudden, when things started to go off the rails, he immediately said, well, I got to cover my ass and I need a new defensive coordinator. I know I'll get the guy who failed in Detroit. Right. <laughs> Who's the worst one? What's the worst defensive coordinator that you have? The guy, the guy who engineered a defensive collapse against the Eagles in the Super Bowl. Yep. That guy. Yeah. Perusing the wine list and then just being like, I'll try the Boons, Cranberry. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard Boons in forever. Yeah. Good product. American made. Yeah, I think I think the minute Sirianni moved Sean Desai, the player said, this guy's out for himself. Fellas, parachutes yeah. on, let's head to the exits. <laughs> I wonder if that's it. It's now it's now clear that every NFC East coach, if they're not fired by the end of uh by the end of this week, uh they will not be they will not be long for any of their teams. And that includes Brian Dable because uh, yeah, there was an expose in the, in the New York daily news where it turned out that he absolutely loses his shit and throws yeah, his own assistance under the bus. And it is like, it is not really all that enjoyed by, by the people who work for him. Like there were giants players who told Pat Leonard, don't come here. Like that's how shitty it is. And I did not expect that from a team that went to the playoffs and rid themselves of Joe Judge. I'm not expecting to be right back in the Joe Judge position, not but two years later, Raw. But but they but they weren't. What, what were they like eight and three to start, and then they limped in? I mean, the wheels were coming off last year. Yeah, uh, so, not to put well, too fine a point on it. They did win a playoff game. They yeah, they did. They'd be <laughs> they'd be my team. So uh, well, but yeah. then, that that's hardly a bar to clear. Hey. So it was definitely they were they overperformed to be adequate last year, but or the year before. But I I do feel like in this case, like I didn't expect them to be quite as bad as they were this year. I do think that. On balance, they did, I would have said before I found out how insane and toxic the scene was, I would have said that they did a decent job coaching given that they spent, you know, whatever, a third of the year with a third string quarterback playing. That like they, that was their most competitive stretch. There was just, I don't know, like it seems like there is also a way that you could be too big an asshole to be an effective NFL coach. Like (laughs) no one knows where that bar is, but it might be in that daily news article, like Dable's right up against it. I mean, Mike Vrabel, you know, I mean, everybody claimed to be surprised when he got fired and they forgot the fact that they lost their last eight games last year. Yeah. And that, you know, when Diana Rossini at the athletics said that, you know, players turned him off like a while ago, 
it almost seems like players are now more willing to throw the coach into the chipper shredder quicker than they used to be. That's practice. They've become European soccer teams. It's we're 10 games in, we're two, seven, and one. I hate this guy who's not playing me enough. Quick, let's form a strike. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hard to argue with it in some cases. The idea of just like showing up to work every day and Mike Vrabel's really mean to you, that sucks. I've had some bad work experiences, but I've never had that. Well, uh, let me ask you because we, I have enjoyed all of this Schadenfreude, but I, I do have to ask about. Uh, the good side of these playoffs, because we just watched some pretty some pretty goddamn impressive performances from a lot of different teams in that round going into the divisionals. So I want to ask you, Rado, first off, the Buffalo Bills. Can the Bills, after everything that happened to them this season, and after all the inspiration they drew from the 9-11 hijackers, <laughs> can the Bills actually do this, Ray? They get Kansas City at home this weekend. Uh- Yes, they can, because don't forget, Kansas City, you know, was incredibly vulnerable down the stretch. And people weren't giving them much of a chance until the weather report came out. Right. It was going to be, yeah. you know, minus 70 with wind chills up to minus 300. And they decided to play on the surface of Uranus. And they were prepared for it. And the Dolphins... If you want to talk about teams that came onto the field going, man, when is the bus got leaving? That was a team. Oh, they, yeah. They, they, they made what is the logical choice, which is, this is cold. I don't like cold. Can I go home? Yeah, time to go. Yeah, I've been there, man. I have played football <laughs> in, in really, really cold weather and been like, this fucking blows. I am yeah. not Can you, Do fun. you remember who was your NESCAC opponent in this? What other elite liberal arts school did you have to play in like negative two against i mean a lot of times it was practice so you would go out in the fucking snow and then you'd have to put your hand down into the snow and you know you put your bare hand in snow it sucks it's yeah it's not fun it's fun for like <laughs> you know if you're a child it's amusing for five seconds and then yep. it's like and it's like i want to go inside and get under a blanket i watched that that game i only watched the first half because it was on Peacock, and Peacock somehow wouldn't let me DVR it for the morning. And I, I watched it just under my, my Sherpa blanket in my chair, and I was so happy that I was inside and they weren't. That was very exciting to me. But we're off topic, Ratto no. and Roth. Can the, can the Bills win the goddamn Super Bowl? Hmm. The Super Bowl? No. Ah. But they can get to the final. Uh, but yeah, but that... You get to get to the AFC Championship. They've done that. They've lost it. I know. But how many times is Josh Allen going to run 52 yards for a touchdown? That was yeah. such a bitch in play. That and, so and, cool. and, and they're going to run into the one team will, that won't allow that in Baltimore. Because say whatever you want about Lamar Jackson. That's a team that tackles you. Yes. That's the first thing they do. And tackle you. And you come off the bus, they tackle you during <laughs> warm-ups, they tackle you during the anthem, they tackle you during the coin flip, and they will tackle you in the press conference afterward because that's what they do. I and have to say that the Chiefs are, are quite good at that as well. Like I know that Mahomes has been their identity for a long time, but defensively, they're a really good team now because Chris Jones just destroys everything in his path. But they have guys, they have young guys like Carl Aftis, and they have Trent McDuffie at corner and he's really good and they have uh oh it's nick bilton out now i can't remember but anyway 
they they have a very very good defense and that is enough I think to get them back to the Super Bowl even though they have nothing but slobs at wide out. So I don't think that this game is a layup for the Bills by by any means. Oh no, the the Bills won't have a layup. No. That's not going to happen. If that no. game is going to be that game is going to be 1 to minus 5. They've looked good though since they I don't you want to say since they achieved Ata mindset or whatever it is that like happened for them or whatever they when they rallied against poor Tyler Dunn. But they the, went bin Laden mode on Mason they did. Rudolph. Yeah, they're in Tora Bora now. Good luck getting them out of there. They got a whole it's a hot tub down there. I saw a map. The but I think that there's it I, I agree with Ray that eventually it just does feel like the the Ravens and the Niners are the final bosses for the league this year by a, a decent stretch. But it's been I think this sort of like brings home how, I mean, obviously I think McDermott's job is safe now, but how weird it is that this Bills team with this roster sucked ass for like half the year because they're great. Like when everything works, you're just sort of like, they got a lot of people that can do stuff. I just don't know. You know, I don't think they're going to turn it off. I think eventually they're going to run into a team that's, you know, better than them, but I don't know that it's necessarily the chiefs. I definitely think they could win that game. Uh, let's take a quick break. Uh, and before we do, I just want to note that the NFL playoffs are on at Blake Shelton's Rough Rider Farmhouse. Buy one platter <laughs> of Blake's famous spaghetti pie and get a free cowboy boot filled with tap water. Game on! Only at Rough Rider Farmhouse. We'll be right back with Ray Ratto. The Distraction is sponsored today by Shaker and Spoon, a subscription cocktail service right here in Brooklyn, New York, that helps you learn how to make world-class cocktails right at home. Every box comes with enough ingredients to make three unique cocktail recipes, each developed by award-winning mixologists. All you need to do is buy one bottle of that month's spirit, and you have all you need to make 12 drinks at home to be stretched out over a suitably safe period of time. This is a cost-effective way to enjoy craft cocktails and level up your home bartending skills. If you've ever wondered how mixologists manage to create such incredible drinks at bars where they charge up to $20 for those drinks, this is worth trying out. Order just one box or treat yourself to a monthly subscription. You can get $20 off your first box at shakerandspoon.com slash distraction. That's $20 off at shakerandspoon.com slash distraction. We're back with Ray Ratto talking NFL playoffs. So we were talking about uh, the ability of the Buffalo Bills to go all the way, but I want to talk about uh, three more upstart teams and their ability. This is, Ratto, this is strictly about not whether or not they can win this weekend, but we get to the Super Bowl. So let's talk about the Houston fucking Texans. Can they actually do this after being in the sewer for God knows how many years? They can because their wide receivers don't drop balls that hit them in the hands. Nico Collins is the next great wide receiver in this league. Yeah, he's really good. Yeah. And they're down a wideout. They had Tank Dell, who was a god, and he got hurt. And Noah Brown is on IR, too. But, like, it doesn't matter. I thought the team had no wideouts. They have a million. Yeah. By the way, you're speaking of Tank Dell. Tank is making a comeback. Yeah. With Who a Tank Bigsby, Tank? too. I love that name. Yeah. I mean, just, when did Tank come back in fashion? I mean, that that just. I mean, I haven't heard a player called Tank 
since the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets. Yeah, this has a real like millennials started getting into Beetle Bailey and nobody noticed or something, and then these names started showing back up. I think that's excellent. Uh, excuse me, my my sons are both named Tank, so I just want that. <laughs> We're going to see a comeback of guys named Butch and Butch. women Claire. <laughs> people instead of saying guy or dude, they're going to start calling people galoots during broadcasts. I think that's good. The thing about the Texans that I find <laughs> remarkable is that. Um, they drafted Stroud, and everyone was like, okay, that you, that's a smart pick. But then they they traded their first-rounder next year to take Arizona's spot at three and draft Will Anderson. And people were like, ooh, that's a, that's a gamble, isn't it? And it wasn't. It turned out that Anderson is a cornerstone edge rusher and will be for the next 10 years. So not only did they get their franchise offensive player in a draft, but they got their franchise defensive player in the exact same draft. And not only that— Derek Stingley, who they took before Sauce Gardner and who was hurt most of last year, and, and people like me were like, well, they, they were fucking stupid. Well, Derek Stingley is now quite quite good. So all of a sudden, they have all this young talent at like really important positions, and they're going against a Ravens team that, yeah, they played great all year, but like, I don't know. Like, may, maybe they can do it. I don't know, man. I think, I think they're a very live dog. Yeah. Um, I don't believe they'll win because I think Baltimore is just slightly better everywhere. But, you know, Houston, Houston reminds us that it is, it is as hard as it is to be really good for an extended period of time. It's not very hard to go from being crap to pretty good if you just have somebody smart and an owner who will get out of the way. Yeah, I think that's a really I – because mean, it's – I think you – I would have thought that it would be very – because there's so many positions and there's so many ways to fuck things up. And it's like in basketball, it's, you know, whatever. You get a draft right. You get two contributors at once. That's fine. There's only five guys on the floor at the same time. Right. But a good NFL I – mean, you see this with the – I mean, the Jets are not anybody's idea of a success story. But it's like if you get a draft really, really right, like just get it on the screws, you can go from zero to one as a team in incredible speed. And then from there, it gets harder, obviously. You know, like if you mortgage all your shit on a guy who doesn't believe in the germ theory of disease, like you can wind up where the Jets are. It seems like the Texans had this idea of – what they wanted to do, and then they they did the hard part. I mean, the rest of it is going to be you know this off season and and next where they have to spend money on free agents and stuff. But the it is incredible. The I think Drew's point too that it's not just Stroud is is really well taken because I didn't get exactly how much they had gotten right. I think until you laid it out like that. But that's it's basically what the difference is between a bad team and a good one is like three really good players at three important positions. Now they have it and they're good. They have good players, but the thing that they did first of all was get a coach who guys want to play for. Yeah. And it almost seems, and maybe this is, you know, history after the fact, but it seemed like Cal McNair has wanted D'Amico Ryan's back in the building for like five years. And when the opportunity finally came, he just said, that's the guy because he wants to be here. And who else in their right mind would want to be in Houston? Yeah, D'Amico turned down the Broncos for that job. Yeah, I had the same yeah. thought because like that seemed to me, again, like I would have thought it was a dead-end job, but it was like clearly that was 
the place he wanted to be. I think he was the first coach to sign last year, right? Thereabouts, yeah. He was he was close. Yeah. But it was like a very decisive thing. But again, it has the feeling of like looking at the whole menu and ordering the boons. Like it's I would have like been like go somewhere else. But it is yeah, interesting because, you know, they they got Stroud at number two. Obviously Bryce Young went number one and he and and Carolina paid a mint to get Bryce Young and it has not worked out. But the thing is that you can turn around very quickly if you draft the right quarterback and he doesn't necessarily have to be drafted high. Lamar Jackson was the last pick of the first round. Mahomes was number 10. Uh, Josh Allen was drafted at number eight. Like these guys, like it's a sort of thing where you can't reap the reward unless you take the risk. And the teams that do it, like Houston did, and it was was a pretty easy risk for them to take because they had no quarterback at all before they drafted Stroud. But uh, it's, it's always heartening to know that you are one good pick. And it's really, it can be a lucky break uh, but to know that, that that can happen, it's very heartening to watch, it, especially for those of us whose teams are always on the margins all the time. But let's talk about another team that uh, has done everything right. The Packers, who absolutely annihilated the Cowboys. You're, you're being very brave right now. No, no, I'm gonna, I, I, can, I can be mature about this. I, I already had my temper tantrum when they, they beat the piss out of us on New Year's Eve and you know, and, and they got the fucking wedding treatment from NBC and whatever. But they went to Dallas. They beat the shit out of the Cowboys. They beat the shit out of Mike McCarthy. They probably took Mark, Mike McCarthy's job. And they're a good football team, particularly on offense. Jordan Love was second in the league in touchdown passes. Uh, Matt LaFleur, I, I have a, a working theory now, Ray, that that Aaron Rodgers was actually holding Matt LaFleur back because – you know, Matt LaFleur is the play caller for that team. But, you know, when Aaron Rodgers is your quarterback, Aaron Rodgers is your play caller, right? Aaron Rodgers just does whatever the fuck he wants. And Matt LaFleur now has a guy who will actually execute plays as as they're called. And he is scheming wideouts wide fucking open. There is, and it wasn't just the Cowboys game. I have seen a lot of latter half Packers games this season where there's been nobody around Romeo Dobbs or Christian Watson or uh, Dontavian Wicks, like it's been it's been a pretty remarkable bit of coaching from Lafleur on his part, and Jordan Love's been very good too. Can that team not only win in San Francisco, which is a lot to ask? Can can they go to the Super Bowl, Ray? I don't think they can win in San Francisco. Why not? Because I think the 49ers, when healthy, can terrorize any quarterback except Lamar Jackson. <laughs> Okay. I mean, I just, I, I just, I've seen those guys too many times, and the three times they lost all year, except for the the pointless Arizona game, they don't didn't care about. Right. Um, they had injuries, and so well, it was Debo and Trent. Those were the two. Those were the two guys out. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, well, no, Trent made a big difference. Yeah, Trent's enormous because he also plays left guard. That's how good he is. I mean, he basically right. is. He's two players, and Debo gives them the the kind of offensive diversity that Brock Purdy alone can't provide. I mean, he's just, he, he's not replicated by anybody else. So I think in that way, the 49ers, they're just too loaded. It's a bad matchup for Green Bay, but I give them more of a chance than I would have if Aaron Rodgers was healthy and playing for Yeah, right. And not because Jordan Love is a better quarterback. I mean, that's objectively false. Well, right now he's a better quarterback than Aaron Well, Rodgers. yeah. Well, really, any peg-leg quarterback is going to be say. in any 
any, you know. No, I think he's better than a healthy Aaron Rodgers right now. Like, I don't, like, Aaron Rodgers is a has-been. Like, he comes back next year, I don't think he's going to be good. Like, I think he's, I think he already knows that he's a has-been. That's why he does all the fucking histrionic bullshit that he does. Yeah, it must, have killed, right now. it must have killed him to lose to Mayan Bialik. <laughs> <laughs> I really think that that's like, you could put that as being the turning, the way that like every fucking reactionary dork in our culture has like a origin story where Charles Schumer's like, who's this dickweed? And they're like, oh, I don't believe that medicine is real anymore. And like, just completely like something happens that turns them. And the idea that if Aaron Rodgers got Jeopardy, he's just normal. He has to be. Now is like, I'm I'm pretty much into that. Like, I think that, you know, he'd probably still be a bit of a turd. But like, yeah, this that begins a journey that, you know, ends with him uh, getting the front-facing camera out and lying down flat on a futon and talking to Pat McAfee about how, um, you know, germs aren't real. Yeah, because the, the guy from uh, Men in Blazers, who's the executive producer, would make sure, no, Aaron, you're supposed to be bland, colorless, and avuncular. That's what I want from a host. Yeah. If you want this job, I don't want to hear word one about any of your theories about how many moons there are orbiting. Right, exactly. Like, you could drink whatever, like, activated mud you want to on your own time. But, like, if you tell Joe Rogan about that even once, uh, yeah. It is funny that the Men in Blazers guy is the fucking producer of Jeopardy, by the way. That was mind-blowing to me. I don't yeah. uh, I don't necessarily agree with you guys. I think that Aaron Rodgers has always been a cock, and I don't think <laughs> any professional success would have would have any any professional turn one way or the other would have mattered. He was always destined to be an open public cock, and that's what I Can I follow up on something that Drew said? Not about the cock part. I cock! <laughs> reasonable parties could disagree. If the guy's a cock, maybe he's not a cock. I don't know. What I want to talk about, so I had not watched the Packers as much. I agree that some of the most open receivers that I saw in the NFL all year long were in that game. That there's, a, I think Luke Musgrave caught a touchdown in that. That was it was a like, record. It was like catching a pop up in a softball game with your friends. Like nobody's anywhere nearby. The ball's just kind of slowly describing its way down. Yeah, love saying that that to was like throw it. He could he could just throw it like anywhere, sort of like in the area. Yeah. It didn't matter because there wasn't anyone within 20 yards of Musgrave. Yeah. So that's normal? Like, that happened a lot? Like, how? what is a coach doing to get players that open, like, in, and I'm saying this in the National Football League voice, the National Football League? It's, it's, you can scheme guys open. You can, you can do two things. You can scheme guys open. A lot of it is motion. Uh, a lot of it is, is, is pre-snap motion designed to change the matchup that one receiver has with a defensive back or a linebacker. Uh, you can also run obvious pick plays where, you know, their teams are, you know, the wideouts cross and one just happens to bump into the other guy. Whoops, whoopsie daisy. And that's, that's always been, been there, but also you can throw guys open and you'll notice this. If you, if you watch any of the QB school uh, YouTube videos or any of that stuff where a good quarterback, you know, you're, it's, He's throwing in anticipation of where the wideout needs to go, and the wideout takes the lead from that throw and goes in that direction away from coverage. So it's it's really it's not only in terms of the uh, the scheme that gets that guys that wide open, but also sort of having the players that 
instinctively are able to sense where the open the vulnerabilities are in the defense and then exploit it. And then it also helps if the defense you're playing is completely out of sorts and doesn't know what the fuck it's doing and just sucks ass the way Dallas did. That's why I mentioned it, because they look so bad. And I was sort of like, well, they are falling apart. The idea that it honestly never occurred to me to give credit to Matt LaFleur for how open those guys were. Because Trust it me, feels I like don't want to do it anymore you. I know, I know. Ray, what were you going to say? No, I was going to say that, you know, we just spent a few minutes slagging off the Cowboys and deservedly so. Yes. And one of the things about football that is always maddening to me is that the winning team is brilliant and the losing team is disastrous. Right. When in fact they work in tandem. Um, I mean, if you look at how the Packers wore down the stretch, I mean, they, they barely beat Carolina. I mean, that to me would be, that's, that's a, condemnation the, for it. the red flag of red flags right <laughs> yeah yes. you know i mean they you know they they lost to the giants so i mean i think some of what, what makes you mean by that good is who they're playing and i think the 49ers are the antidote to that so that you might see the packers not be very good this weekend um but it doesn't mean that jordan love is all of a sudden a turd or that Romeo Dobbs is now a useless uh, wide receiver. It's that most teams are as good or as bad as their opponents. Let them be, because nobody's really exceptional with, with, you know, except, you know, Baltimore and San Francisco, and everybody else is, you know, varying shades of nine and eight. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, if it sounds like I'm dismissing the Packers, I'm not, but that's the nature of the new NFL. I'm offended you're so mean to the Packers. I I take exception. <laughs> just, well, how could you, how could you do that? Yeah, I could tell you're you're pissing out with rage, weeping openly. Let's get to the last game I want to talk about, and and I saved the best for last. The Detroit Lions, who won the their Lions. first playoff game since 1991, which I was alive to see, but our own Lauren Tyson and my three Anantharaman. They were not alive when the Lions won that game against the Cowboys, uh, but I was, and I saw it. Uh, so for the first time in our Michigan uh, defector staffers' lives, they saw the Lions win a playoff game against the very quarterback who abandoned them and won a Super Bowl without them. Uh, Ray, do you believe in this Lions team now? Do you think it's a given that they'll beat Tampa in the next round? I think they're they're probably better equipped to beat Tampa than Tampa is to beat them. But it's not so much that it's out of the question because Tampa, they hurt you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Levante David seems to me like he's been playing for them since 1997. Yeah, it was good. That was like, he was like Hardy Nickerson's teammate. Like this is like all stuff. I absolutely feel the same way. I mean, that game could, could easily come down to Dan Campbell trying a, a a fake field goal you know from from the other team's 10 <laughs> we're, we're gonna do an option now just because i feel like i believe in these guys so i could do any daft coaching or strategic thing i want to do because i believe in my guys and every once in a while that just blows your foot and i mean they, you know they, they did some goofy stuff last week uh the last week of the regular season and just because Dan Campbell, I think in some ways, has fallen in love with his own goofiness. And unless he can temper that 
in the postseason, you only have to be wrong once to end up, you know, holding the bag. So I think Detroit is good and they're fun and it's a great story. And sad to say, I was alive when they won their last championship. And I was, Ooh, yeah, yeah, you got me. You got yeah. me beat, brother. But, I was going to say, we've got employees that can rent a car that have never seen them win, but also we've only got one guy that remembers the moment that they were champions. But, you know, th- that game is not going to be so lopsided that one goofy coaching choice can't change that completely. Like, Todd Bowles could do something stupid, and they end up losing by seven. Well, the, the thing about Bowles was that he so thoroughly outcoached the Eagles um, – you know, in the wild card round, yeah. That I was like, you know what? Like, I think I think he's entitled to have the Jets stink off of him now. Like, this is a good, good football coach. Like, he had no business winning the division with that team, but they look good and they look prepared. No, well, they were more prepared than the Eagles. Yeah, I yeah. was more prepared than the fucking yeah. Eagles. So, I mean, again, it's. Some of that is you're okay, and some of that is they're not okay. Right. Like the Eagles were more prepared to like get on an airplane and go to sandals. Yeah. I, I <laughs> that was the like the energy I was getting. Yeah. I, I I just don't think that's an advantage that they can rely on against Tampa. And it's not because of Baker Mayfield. It's because they hurt you. They physically make you cry. Yeah. There was a lot of loud tackling in that game. Those are the teams right now that are the ones you fear. I, the 49ers, as many points as they put up, they really win because they have Christian McCaffrey and they have the defense that makes you cry. And Baltimore's the same way. They have Lamar yeah. Jackson, but they have a defense that makes you cry. Well, I don't, I don't think that the Lions are, uh, are not a part of that group because they're loaded. They have really good players. I mean... I know that the rest of the defensive line, besides Aiden Hutchinson, needs work, but they have Aiden Hutchinson. They have Brian Branch. They have C.J. Gardner-Johnson back. And then on offense, they have Amon Ross St. Brown, who cannot be covered or tackled. They have Sam Laporta, and he's hobbled, but he was still effective against the Rams. He had a tough tough game against the Rams. But all that said, Detroit's margin for error is wider than Philadelphia's. Yes. Tampa's not nearly as wide as Philadelphia. That's why I think that's probably going to be the best game of the weekend. Yeah. Because it's equal team who have enough good players between them to do some extraordinary things and yet still have the guys who can make you cry. Because I believe that crying is what football's all about. That's what it's all about. There is crying in football. There, yeah. You know, there, there's a ton of crying in football. If you lose, you go into a locker room. If you ever watch the Friday Night Lights movie, which I think is a very good movie, there's a scene where they they lose a game and they they cut to Lucas Black crying his eyes out in the locker room, and it was the most accurate portrayal of a football team post loss that that I had ever seen. I was like, "Yep, yeah, yeah, that's pretty much how it feels." Uh, all right, we have one fun bad question, but I want to do a quick speed round with you, gentlemen, uh, and I want to play good bad with you, not with teams, but with open open head coaching positions right now. Okay, you got it. So, yes. Ray, I'm gonna. Say the job to you, and you're going to tell me if it's good or bad. Just good or bad. That's it. No other elaboration, okay? Can okay. you do that? No, I'm incapable of using giving you one-word answers. <laughs> fuck you, man. Yes, all right, first, fuck me. <laughs> all right, first one, the Panthers. Good or bad job? Bad. Very bad. Uh, Seahawks, Roth. Good or bad job? Mm, I would say bad. Ooh, okay. Yeah, all right. I can explain it, but we're only doing one word. Uh, Chargers, 
Uh, Rado, is that a good job or a bad job? Bad. Oh, even with Justin Herbert, bad. Okay. Even with Justin Herbert. Uh, Titans Roth, good or bad job? Also seems kind of bad. Wow, we <laughs> haven't gotten to a it. good job yet. This is not good because the next well, you're one- you're working your way up, right? The next one, Ray, is the Raiders. Is that a good job or a bad job? Oh, wow. Yeah, not yet. It's a bad job. All right. Commanders Roth. Terrible job. <laughs> is All it, right. Well, I'm, you know what? Hold on. I'm, I need to get out of my Snyder mindset. It's still bad to me, but I, I don't think it's as bad as it as it has been for the last 20 years, whatever. All right, Ray, last one, the Falcons. Good. That's the good one of all the ones you, you could have picked. Why. Here's why. Because if they can find players to hide their quarterback problem, they have an owner who will at least get out of the way. Because I judge a lot of jobs based on whether the owner you know, has a track record of being good at some point. And the Falcons have been good at some points. Those other teams are marred by Kane. You know, they, yeah. they have the thumbprint of incompetence all over. <laughs> the stamp that's upon them. Do the Seahawks really have the thumbprint of incompetence on them? A team that has been very good for years? No, but what they, but what they have is an owner who has to sell soon. Yeah, but it's going to be Jeff Bezos who buys them, and he's not going to— I don't gonna... know, dude. I, I don't think the NFL wants Bezos to own a team. I, I, I think, get that sense. I think you're incorrect. I think All they right. would be more than happy to have rich-ass rich ass Jeff Bezos. And you know what? I think so Bezos my consideration just... with them, the reason I thought they were bad is the, it's entirely the fact that the organization is in flux. Like, they have good players. Like, relative to all the other teams we talked about, they have way better players than all the other teams we talked about. But, like, John just, Schneider hasn't left the GM job. Like, he's still there and picking good players. No, but there's no guarantee that he'll still be there when the new owner comes in. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, you know, I have yet to see a billionaire owner who lays out 5B on a team and doesn't want to be in all the meetings. Well, I just want to say that I would be that owner. Uh, and that's how I, when I <laughs> do would my, be absolutely my dancing in all the videos. I would love you for it, but you would be on the <laughs> sideline. You'd be wearing a headset that isn't attached to anything. Yeah, but I would end up looking like Mark Cuban and Mark Cuban's yep. in a shirt. So. <laughs> medium t-shirts. Speaking of guys who couldn't get into another league. Uh, well then, Okay. What about Eagles or Cowboys or even the Steelers potentially? Are any of those jobs good, Ray? Steelers' job is good, but it's yes. got one Eagles' Steelers. job good. Cowboys' job will not be good while Jerry's there. Yeah, well, I mean, everyone keeps waiting for him to die, but he hasn't yet. Uh, I, don't think he, uh, I don't think he can die. Uh, before, <laughs> before we get to the fun bag, Roth, I'd like uh, I'd like to ask you: Can you explain uh, Nikki Haley's meteoric rise to a distant third place in the uh, Iowa caucuses? What makes voters almost love her so much? Great question, Drew. So the short answer I would give you is that it seems like for some Americans, integrity still matters. <laughs> so did you want me to go on further than that? No, I, that's no, all no, I have. No, let's that's get all... to the fun bag. It's it's yeah. time. It's time. Uh, <laughs> this one's. Uh, this one's very, very close to the podcast. This is from Chaz. And Chaz writes in, he says, Every week, I excitedly wait for Thursday morning so I can listen to the distraction. First thing is I start my day. And every week I hear Drew get to the end credits and say, Our theme song is by Kirk Ham. At precisely that moment, I expect the finish to be Kirk Hammett, lead guitarist in Metallica. <laughs> the finish, of course, is not the guy I'm expecting, but having Kirk Hammett make the theme song to a sports podcast would be rad. If you could have one random musician make a new distraction theme song, 
Who would it be and who would be the most shocking musician you can think of to author such a track? Ratto, who would you like to do our theme song? One guy. One guy. Or girl. Or girl. Good point. Danny Elfman. Oh, you know, he's problematic now. He got accused of some bad shit. Wait, did he? I don't think so. Yeah, someone someone accused him of, of being like, uh, like sexual harassment and stuff like that. Oh, well, I mean, there's some of the songs in Oingo Boingo that would tend to make you think that he's capable of that. But just in terms of instrumentation and things like that, the kind of song that you'd be looking for is right up his alley. That said, he wouldn't be my first choice because he's problematic, but he's my first choice just on music. Uh, Roth, who would you pick and why is it Yola Tango? Well, I mean, I wouldn't do that necessarily. We have, I'm lucky, uh, the Hallmark podcast I do with Cheb Lund, uh, one of the guys from Fountains of Wayne, Chris Collingwood, does music for us. Oh, my and, God. And yeah. it sounds great. Yeah. But, and so we're, I mean, that's a stroke of luck that's entirely the result of Jeb's network being cooler than mine. I mean, I think it would be great if we, like, you know, like, if you were to say, yeah, I want Bob Mould to do, like, a little ditty for us. Yeah, it would, it would whip ass. I just don't know. There's, like, different things when you think about music that doesn't have words to it, which our theme probably would uh, in this case. My first thoughts are just it, Danny Elfman is in that universe of just like grandiose film composers. Most of them are dead now, but the idea of just having an Ennio Morricone score for you and me just saying pee pee and poo poo back and forth to each other is pretty delightful to me. Well, Danny Elfman composed composes film scores that are memorable, and those are those are pretty scant these days. Like yeah. I, I have a hard time being like, oh wow, that like the most like the most iconic score the past decade was like, like the in inception. And that's like, that's, that's like a sound effect almost. That's barely, yeah, that's barely a score. Um, you need like jingle smiths. Eric's yeah. point that, uh, they might be giants sounds like they should be making podcast music. It's like they were making podcast music before there was podcasts. That is just the genre that they exist in, but that is a different sort of, uh, it's a horse of another color. Uh, my, my answer of course is, is Bob Molden. And of course there's, there's great precedent for it because Bob is the guy who recorded the original themes of the daily show, which the daily show still uses. And Bob was like, yeah, I, I like that job. It got me a house. So, yep. so, and I like, uh, I would choose Mastodon too, because they did the opening to the Aqua Teen hunger force movie. And if you've ever seen that opening, you didn't forget Mastodon, uh, doing the musical opening to that film. Cause it was, it was quite, Quite lovely, but we like the guy that we have already, and I'm going to read his name because I'm doing the credits. It's Eric Silver's our producer. Yay! Brandon Google's our editor. Also very good. And our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. We love him. As in production services are by Multitude, and you can subscribe to Defector.com right now. Just go to Defector and hit that subscribe button. You can also email us at distraction@defector.com or even call us at 909 726 3720 and leave a message. That's 909 Panera Zero. Ray Rado is also a defector. You can read him anytime, usually in the morning, because he blogs all the time for us because he's just a fucking machine. Ray, thank you for coming on. Thank you. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Uh, we see we'll see you guys all uh, next week. Enjoy the divisional round. Goodbye. Bye.